Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Ken Baer, pastor at Faith Dialogue. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable. It's based on the Acts of the Apostles, where we see the, the early church under the direction of the Holy Spirit was truly unstoppable. Today, we'll be finishing up the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. You know, previously we saw uh, the apostle Paul had arrived in Corinth, and he had, he had great success there. The Lord had appeared to him in a dream. And the Lord said, Paul, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in the city. Now, this, of course, was a huge blessing, a huge, a huge encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And the scripture says that because of this, because of this encouragement by the Lord, Paul actually spent 18 months in Corinth. It was the second longest stay that he spent anywhere on his missionary journeys. You know, there are a couple of things that also were very interesting in this, in this chapter. We saw that Paul had, had, had tired of the rejection by the Jews, and he, had, he was speaking in the synagogues, and when they finally not only rejected him, but they began to blaspheme the Lord Jesus, he, he shook out his garments. Now, that was symbolic, and it was similar to what Jesus speaks of, of, of shaking the dust off your feet. And Paul said that he was, from then on, going to go to the Gentiles. At the same time, the, Paul was, the Lord was still uh, definitely with Paul, and he was bearing fruit. And we saw that some of the Jews were, were still coming to Jesus. One of them was a man named Crispus who the scripture says was the, the ruler of the local synagogue. And the scripture says that he and his, his family uh, received the Lord and were baptized. Uh, when we finished up with Paul, as Paul was finishing his second missionary journey, we find that Crispus was actually replaced by a man named Sothenes. And when Paul was brought um, um, before the, the court in order to be tried, and before he could even speak, a, open his, his mouth, um, and he was defended actually by Gallio, who was the proconsul at the time. Uh, the, uh, the Greeks that were there that were assembled uh, decided to turn on the Jews and they attacked Sothenes. Now, what was interesting was Sothenes, we find, uh, ended up becoming a disciple as well. Just like Crispus, Sothenes was the ruler of the local synagogue, and he also became a follower of Jesus Christ and a companion of Paul. And actually, we said that in Paul's letter to the first Corinthians, Sothenes is actually listed as a, as a co-author. So anyway, so today we're going to pick up where we left off. We are in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to begin in uh, verse uh, 23, verse 23 of of Acts 18. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia, 
and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So here in, in Acts chapter 18, we see Paul landing by ship in Caesarea. This is the northern coast of, of Israel. It was in Caesarea that the apostle Peter um, had shared the gospel with uh, Cornelius. And um, it was Cornelius was one of the first Gentiles, along with his family, uh, to come to Christ. Now from Caesarea, Paul uh, traveled to Jerusalem finishing his vow, and he met with the church for just a brief period of time, and then went to Antioch. And this was the end of his second missionary journey, and from there he began his third. It says, verse 23 says, And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all of the disciples. And this is the beginning of the third missionary journey of Paul. And as Paul takes off again, he goes to the same places that he had been in order to strengthen the disciples. Now, we get to verse 24, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time today in verse 24 and 25. You know, when you read the scriptures, you don't want to just rush through them. You want to spend enough time so that you don't miss anything, or even worse, uh, get a few things wrong. So we meet Apollos. Apollos is a, a fascinating man and actually here Dr. Luke is featuring this encounter likely because of the amazing preacher and teacher that Apollos is going to become. Well, we know that he's destined to be great. Paul in a few years will be writing from Ephesus to this church in Corinth uh, we actually mentioned and read from 1 Corinthians uh, in our last study because of the man Sothenes, who was actually the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth, and he was, uh, he was just there when the Greeks were looking for somebody to, to beat up. And this man Sothenes became a disciple of Jesus and a companion of Paul, and is with Paul in Ephesus when Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Well, in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, in verse 10, still the very beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, Paul begins to speak of divisions in the church, divisions that neither he nor the Lord would want to encourage or continue. And Paul says in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is, one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. You know, so this man, uh, Apollo, 
a man that our scriptures say says in verse 18 is an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures um, is is here in the church in Corinth and there are many many people that are following him just like they follow Peter which is Cephas as well as Paul and we'll get to know Apollo a little better but we see right now Apollo is in transition. He, he knows something and he knows things very well, but there is still more to know. Uh, in any case, this man Apollos is, is gifted, so gifted that there are some in the church that in just a few years will put him in the same category, the same leadership cadre with the Apostle Paul as well as the Apostle Peter. That's where Paul says, it's, I've, it's been said that some say I follow Paul, that others say I follow Apollos, and some say I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Now, this brings me to a, a tangent, and, and, and I can't help it. You just have to kind of bear with me. My mind sometimes goes off on a, on a tangent. I'm kind of like my, my new dog, my new puppy Piper, who sees a squirrel. Uh, it's a tangent, a, a distraction, so just bear with me for a minute. Here's my squirrel. A, a few years ago, our, our ministry was focused on the opportunity for area churches, uh, whether they be Baptist or Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Assembly of God, Catholic, regardless of any denomination, our, our ministry and my ministry was focused on an attempt to help everyone understand that we have so much more in common uh, than, than we think. Jesus had prayed uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John. He said, Father, I pray that all of them would be one, just as you and I are one. I pray that they would be one. And actually, this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate in, in 1 Corinthians that we just quoted, that, that there should not be divisions, that we should, we should all be one. You know, some denominations have some teachings that are different than other denominations, and there's definitely, uh, there's an importance in theology in trying to get it right as much as possible. Uh, but we, again, we have so much in common. Well, I was giving a, a seminar, and actually I had written a book on the subject called Roaming Catholics, and, and uh, kind of a wordplay on the, on the word Roman. Uh, I was calling it Roaming Catholics. And now, it, it isn't a critical book. I'm not critical of the Catholic Church, and if anything, I'm trying to show a common history, a common a background that, that we all share, regardless of what denomination we're in. Um, so so I, while I'm trying to teach um, our class or this seminar that, that we really have so much in common and that we're one church, uh, one of the people, sure enough, at the end of the class came up to me and, and they tried to make the point. They said, you know, Lutherans follow Lutherans and Methodists follow Wesley, but Catholics follow Christ. Now, hopefully, by the end of this class, the, the end of that class, that individual understood what I was talking about. These denominations that we have today actually came long after uh, what we see here in the book of Acts. And the history that we see in the book of Acts is a history that's shared by, by all of us. You know, that's why our denomination, our, I mean, our, that's why our church is not a part of a denomination. What we use is we use the Nicene Creed as our statement of faith. You know, all of the denominations, regardless of, of their background or regardless of their, their uh, traditions, uh, they can all embrace the Nicene Creed. Okay, so enough of chasing that score. Let's get back to this man, Apollos. So Paul is in Ephesus. 
where Aquila and Priscilla are. And verse 24 says, uh, this is where we meet this extraordinary man named Apollos. It says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is in the northern coast of Africa. It's actually Egypt. And the scripture says that Apollos was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. And this man came to Ephesus where Paul was. Now, Apollos is a Jew. And he's from the city of Alexandria. And, and incidentally, uh, Alexandria has a great, it's a huge city. It's probably the second most important city in the Roman Empire next to Rome. And it's a huge city and it has a huge library and it has a great Jewish population. At the time of Paul, many historians believe that the Jewish popula population in Alexandria, where Apollos is from, probably is actually greater than the Jewish population in the city of Jerusalem. The scripture says that Apollo was a, an eloquent man. Now the word in Greek is a very specific word, this word eloquent. It, it combines a number of admirable traits. It means to be learned. It also means to be articulate. It means to be persuasive. It speaks to the ability to communicate. Apollos was likely one of the most gifted speakers that we will read about in the entire New Testament. So what about Paul? Is Apollos actually greater than Paul? Well, he was likely a better speaker. Um, and even though he knows less at this time, and Aquila and Priscilla will take care of those things soon, uh, he was still able to communicate, the scripture says, very effectively. Paul actually claims very humbly that he wasn't a great speaker. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, for example, chapter 2, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. It's, Paul continues, he says, For I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, the Apostle Paul really never thought of himself as a, as a gifted uh, speaker. Now, he was an excellent writer, uh, but he didn't value his preaching ability or his physical appearance. Uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, uh, Paul says about himself, he says, his letters, meaning himself, his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. So, so we can contrast Apollo and, and Paul. Uh, Apollo was a, was, a, was a great order. Uh, orator and his physical presence uh, most likely was was significant. He was somebody that was gifted, somebody that you'd want to go see on the pulpit, somebody that you were drawn to. Um, this man Apollo comes on the scene, and our historian Dr. Lucas sure to mention this first appearance of Apollos, and he gives us some of the details. And now it's good actually to contrast these two men, Paul and Apollos. There was actually no rivalry between them. Some preferred one and one the other, but there's no inkling in the scriptures that there was actually a rivalry between Paul and Apollos. And this is good for us to remember as well. God is the one that gives us our gifts and our abilities. These are, these are God-given abilities. Some have the ability to speak and some to write. Um, some have the ability to persuade and defend. These are all gifts from God, these, these abilities. In the church, we acknowledge these gifts, but we acknowledge something else. The saying is that God is actually more interested in your availability 
than your actual abilities. If I'm speaking right now to, uh, to young men and, and to young women, and even at the young of heart, people, people that are actually seniors, um, you have gifts. And even if, even if you haven't used your gifts, you still have the ability or the opportunity to make them available uh, to God for the service of ministry. If you make yourself available to God, God will, will use you in, in mighty ways, in ways that you can't even imagine sometimes, but God will take the gifts you have and your availability and He will make you useful in the kingdom of God. So we're still in verse 24. I told you we were going to spend a lot of time in verse 24 and 25. And I want you to note that it says, Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Uh, scholars like to point out that this word mighty is a derivative, the Greek word is a derivative of the Greek word uh, dunamis. And dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. So these scriptures say, um, and, we could, and, and it talks about that he's mighty in the scriptures. He's like dynamite. Now remember, we could, the, this, the scriptures refers both to the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, uh, but there are no New Testament scriptures at the time. So this man, Apollos, is an Old Testament scholar, and he could persuade, and he could convince, and he could recall the scriptures, and he could use them mightily. So let's move on, because this is where it really gets interesting. Verse 25, it says, And he came to Ephesus, this is Apollos, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So Dr. Luke is pointing out something that's, that's important, and important for us to understand as well. Here's Apollos, and he catches the eye of the disciples. Uh, Paul, Dr. Luke, as well as Aquilas, Aquila and Priscilla. So what's interesting is that Apollo was teaching, and we see in the scriptures that he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Uh, that's something what Dr. Luke adds, even though he only knew the baptism of John. So let's talk a minute about the baptism of John. What is Dr. Luke referring to here? This is actually will come up again in the very next chapter, Acts 19, and we have to consider that situation in Acts 19 in order to get a true understanding of what we're being told here in chapter 18. Now the baptism of John, uh, both John the Baptist as well as the Apostle Paul identifies is a baptism of repentance. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one that was sent to make paths straight. The central theme of John the Baptist's ministry was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's out of Matthew chapter 3. He was called the Baptist because his practice was to baptize those who responded to his message. Um, he proclaimed and sincerely repented of their sins, so he symbolically baptized them as they were being washed from their sins. Now what did John the Baptist say about his water baptism? Well, in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, John says, the Apostle John, uh, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
So Apollos is literally preaching everything that is known about the Messiah. Now here, there's no reason to believe that he didn't preach about Jesus, uh, and, and that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Remember in the last chapter, Paul had to explain to the Jews how the Messiah had to suffer and die. And we said that most likely he relied on Isaiah 53, for example, one of the Old Testament scriptures that speaks clearly of the Messiah having to die. The scripture says that this man, Apollos, taught accurately. Now, accurately means that he taught correctly. He talked correctly about who the Messiah was. And he was not being inaccurate, but he taught accurately the things of the Lord, according to what Dr. Luke is telling us. So what didn't Apollos know? What did he need to understand? Well, it says that he knew only the baptism of John. But the apostle, but the John the Baptist said there was another baptism coming. Now, who else would have known of Jesus, would have been able to understand accurately that Jesus was the Christ, that he had suffered, died on a Roman cross, ascended into heaven? Who would have been able to do that? See, Apollo, Apollos wasn't unique. Actually, all, all of the apostles, in fact, most of the 120 that were in the upper room the day of Pentecost were in the same situation. They would be able to speak accurately about this, yet they had not received the baptism that John was speaking of. Since Apollos taught the Lord Jesus, he was a disciple and was being used by God. Yet Apollos lacked the baptism of fire that the apostle John, the apostle that John the Baptist had spoken of. Jesus spoke of this condition, this step, this baptism. Jesus said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, if you recall, the Holy Spirit definitely came in power. The scriptures describe it as a mighty wind, tongues of fire, and an interesting manifestation of languages that proclaim the wonders of God in various languages that were therefore prior unknown to the men that were speaking them. Now, while this baptism was unknown to Apollo, he would soon understand and actually experience that power that the Holy Spirit brings. Verse 26 says, So he, that's Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Uh, uh, now, some would say at this time that Apollos is not a Christian, uh, that he wasn't a believer. But the scripture doesn't say that. It, it never mentions that. It says actually that he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. And then Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They recognized that it was missing something. So they explained to him what he needed to know, what he needed to understand. Now, I don't want to jump ahead, but I need to bring in a few verses from the next chapter. Remember I told you that chapter 19 speaks of this exact situation as well. So let me read to you a little bit from uh, chapter 19, well, that, which is actually something we'll be talking about next week. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. 
There he found some disciples and said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there was about 12 men in all. So while we don't see in chapter 18 that Apollos and when Priscilla and Aquila explain more clearly the things of the Lord, that Apollos began to speak in tongues and prophesy. If that had happened, no doubt and it would have been recorded for our benefit. So while Apollo, Apollos didn't have the manifestation, and we see that this baptism of the Holy Spirit can certainly come without the manifestation of tongues and prophecy, Apollo got the power. He was baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, it says, And when he desired to cross into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who were, had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So what's the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is God is able to use all of the talents he has given us and the learned, capable expositors of God's word. That's a very useful talent. However, there's a way, there's, there are certain things that are even still to be understood. There's opportunities as well to know the way of God more accurately just as Apollos, to embrace the Holy Spirit, to fully submit to God's plan for your life. You know, later in 1 Corinthians, and this is the third time we mention 1 Corinthians uh, today, we find another reference to Apollos. Chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You know, God can use each one of us in, in our own particular way. Apollos was mighty, as mighty as Paul was as the apostle. God used them both. These gifted, talented men that we meet here in the book of Acts, who through the power of the Holy Spirit were able to accomplish actually uh, more together through the Holy Spirit than they ever could have separately. And that was through knowing more accurately the ways of the Lord and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Apollos taught in the gospel, taught the gospel of Christ as far as John's ministry would carry him. He was effective, but there was still more. Though he had not received the baptism of the Spirit as the apostles had on Pentecost, he made use of the gifts that he had. His preaching gift and his skills were still a gift from God. Paul, Apollos was full of zeal for the glory of God and the salvation of precious souls. With the knowledge of the Spirit of God, Apollos was a complete man of God, thoroughly equipped for the work of the ministry. Aquila and Priscilla attended to him and encouraged his ministry by explaining all of this to him. So what was Apollos lacking? Two things. Some theology and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, 
While good theology won't save you, the Holy Spirit will and does. Theology, by definition, is the study of God. That's a, that's a pretty deep subject for all, any of us. And quite frankly, even the best scholar, the brightest student of the Bible, is not going to fully grasp the theology of God. But it's not the theology. It's the Holy Spirit uh, that saves us and directs us. Often we equate the, the birth of the church with Pentecost. And that is not incorrect. However, to say that the apostles who had understood the baptism of John, you know, Jesus himself was baptized by John, um, understood the death on the cross, on the Roman cross, had been witnesses of Jesus' resurrection and were there when he ascended into heaven, and all of this is before Pentecost, to think that they had not received the Holy Spirit gift of salvation is incorrect. The Bible even tells us this. Uh, it says on the first day of the week, on Resurrection Sunday, we often call it Easter Sunday, the disciples were afraid. The scripture says that they were in the upper room, that they had locked the doors for the fear of the Jews. And this is what it says in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were, assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he, which is Jesus, had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But let's continue. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, my friends, this is the story of the apostles prior to Pentecost, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit in power and in fire. Jesus had breathed on them. They were born again. They were made alive through the Spirit of God. And it's only through the Spirit of God that we become new creations. But these same disciples would be present on Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit would come and they would experience the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. If you've made yourself available to God, He can use you. If you're going to be used by God effectively, you actually need the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that not only, not only makes us new creation, that redeems us, makes us new, but the Holy Spirit that also empowers us for ministry. Apollo was instructed in the way of the Lord. He received the Holy Spirit and was used mightily. I know we've used that term many times today, but it's, it's actually very appropriate. Our final verse today says the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. Obviously, the instruction from Aquila and Priscilla, along with the letters of reference from this church of Ephesus, Apollos became this amazing orator, this amazing man of God. The scriptures say that Apollos went into the region of Achaia, which is where uh, where the city of Corinth is. It's the western division of, of, west, it's the western division of Greece. Um, from there, the scripture says that Apollos went to Corinth, 
to water uh, what Paul had planted. See, Paul planted, but Apollos watered, and he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this message today. We thank you, Lord, for the power. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.